0: Hey everyone it's Andrew. We don't specifically address this in the episode but I wanted to clarify that in 2019 our guest Paul Wyman was awarded the 2019 NAR Good Neighbor Award which is basically the highest honor in our industry nationwide for having a positive impact on your community. Now with that being said enjoy the April episode of Leave Your Shoes by the Door. Hey everybody, this is Andrew and this is the Leave Your Shoes by the Door podcast. And today I'm joined by Paul Wyman. Paul, thanks for being here. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely, man. So I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, But before we get into what I really want to talk about, um, you mentioned to me uh, before we begin recording that you are an interest in uh, bass fishing. Oh yeah. So if you could um, narrow it down, and I'm not a big bass fisher, but I assume there's always that marquee story. You know, you've, you've probably done it for years and years and years, but you have that one catch... Sure, that kind of sure. leads the pack of all the bass fishing. So why don't you uh, indulge me on the, on the biggest, <laughs> the biggest well, bass? You, you know, my
1: whole bass fishing thing comes from when I was a little kid. Uh, you know, we had a lake about a mile and a half, two miles from our house. Where's this at? Uh, that was where I was born and raised in New Jersey. Oh, okay. And, um, and so my buddies and I, we would get on our bikes all the time and just go out on the lake and go fishing during the summertime. And so I've always had an affinity for fishing. And as I got older and, you know, more busy and life takes a hold and, and you're working and career and family, uh, now it's that that nice break for me. I mm-hmm. get out on the lake, do some bass fishing, and it's really relaxing, and it you know, just it uh, kind of de-stresses me a little bit. Sure. Uh, but yeah, so I, probably about, I oh, don't know, maybe 10 years ago, uh, we had a big neighborhood uh, bass fishing contest. Okay. And, this uh, is in central Indiana This is in central Indiana, okay. yeah. Okay, and, um And everybody, I don't know, we all put in like 20, 30 bucks or something like that. But there was enough people, the pot grew, and it just kept growing throughout the day, and it hit like a 1,000 bucks. And um, and I caught a uh, a four point seven pound bass. So hold on, you you all yeah. ponied the money. We together. all ponied Who? up the money, being this tournament, it was just a low friendly competition. And whoever caught the biggest fish collected whoever caught collect the pot. whoever caught the biggest fish collected the pot. Ooh, I like that. And uh, what and, what were and, the other
0: uh, guidelines of the competition? That's the boy, it. Just, from this they, hour to this hour. Yeah, oh or? yeah, it was just okay. a one
1: day tournament, and um, and uh, I hit a four point seven pound bass on there. Forget real that thing and I, I was just as shocked as everybody else. And. Got her in the boat and won the tournament and uh, a lot of fun. So I've just always had affinity for bass fishing. And uh, like I said, it's more about getting out and de-stressing than anything else. So
0: what's it like reeling in a...
1: 4.7 pound fish I mean it, it, it's exciting did it take you a long time did you yeah have well, not, to not so long but I, I absolutely had a fight with it worked with it came out of the water a couple times that's the that's the most exciting part when it comes and breaks the water and it's flopping around in the air it goes back in your the water. heart's power. Yeah, <laughs> <pounding. Like, I, laughs> especially when I knew the money was on the line I'm like I got to get this thing in the boat you know and uh so yeah but well, we got her in and uh it worked out so it was a lot of fun
0: so when you first got that initial tug
1: did you realize like this yeah is, this is special. I, I, I actually thought I was snagged at first. (laughs) Yeah, it it was that big, and it hit so hard. It's either an
0: old leathery boot, (laughs) catching a boot,
1: a tree, or a bass. One of the three is about to happen to me, and only one's paying off. (laughs) Uh And you said that was about ten years ago. Yeah, it was about ten years. So you've been chasing that
0: catch ever since. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Not, not
1: not caught one as big. You know, a lot of times when I go fishing, I'm catching pound and a half to three pound bass. Sure.
0: This so you time. caught the 4.7. What was like second place? I mean, was that just heads um, head and yeah. shoulders above? Yeah, yeah.
1: I think the closest one was probably three pounds that day. So it was it was an outright win. There was there was no argument. <laughs> definitive, definitive win. <laughs> and, 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 and believe me, I bragged about that fish oh. for a long time. You know, in fact, I'm sure it's grown to a five and a half, six pound bass mm-hmm. as the stories have grown over the years. But so uh, you threw him back? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We did catch a release tournament. Yeah, sure.
0: So let, let me get get a better idea of what what's happening here. This is some massive lake and everybody from noon until sundown gets yeah, to go so out it. On was, their uh, it's
1: a pond a lake slash large 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 pond out by our house and uh, a lot of people in the neighborhood and then people from outside the neighborhood got together and we just we just threw together a fun way one day tournament It wasn't any kind of professional sure. deal or anything. And how much was in the pot? About a thousand bucks. This is a big day for you. It was you, a Paul. big day. It was <laughs> so a big there day. There was big,
0: yeah. big ego gain and financial I, gain. And you know what all the, the, best. the
1: the the bragging rights uh-huh. were worth more than a thousand bucks, <laughs> yeah. I guarantee it. bragging rights were priceless. they were the I, a, I got, got to do that for a long time. So <laughs> so that was priceless. The, the money just went and bought me some more tackles. So, Absolutely. You know. <laughs> sure, sure, so sure. Worked out good.
0: Man, so it's kind of like, isn't that what they say about gambling? Is that you win big, and then the rest of your life is kind of chasing that that big
1: win? Yeah, I, I've heard that before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah but
0: yeah. I feel like this is a lot a bigger accomplishment than uh, yeah, winning right. big on money. <laughs> right?
1: Did you name the fish or uh, Walter? Walter. You know, it's that movie. What was that movie? Uh, Grumpy old man oh, or sure, something like that. Sure. They were chasing Walter uh, all the time. Uh, I'm like, I got Walter. Uh, <laughs> 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 awesome. All right. So, how long you been in the industry, Paul? I actually got my real estate license in
0: 1998. And you told me that you're a veteran yes, of the Air Force. Yes, a veteran the
1: United States Air Force. Did that for four years mm-hmm. active, four years reserves.
0: Okay, yeah. and then after that you got into the...
1: Actually, after that I was in uh, uh, securities and insurance, okay. doing financial planning type thing. Um, ended up meeting a gentleman. We did some real estate deals. The real estate thing started to grow a little bit. And it just got to the point where serving two masters really wasn't working out. And I made the decision in the late '90s to pursue real estate, mm-hmm. and uh, really glad that I did.
0: So let's go back uh, just to get a good get, get a good idea yeah. of, of,
1: of your your plight. Um, went to high school in New Jersey. So New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Okay. I did. I lived in New Jersey until mm-hmm. I was about uh, 15 years old, and then mom and dad retired. I'm the youngest of eight kids. What I say, 15, and, uh, your parents are retired. Yeah, yeah. Okay. My mom and dad retired at 55. How many? And, how uh, many kids? I'm the youngest of eight. Eight. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh so, yeah, it was really interesting because you know, my dad was retired from my last three years of high school, so it was really cool because you know he got to participate in a lot more things with me. you know, he was able to get me from practice after ball games, mm-hmm. be at all my games and those kinds of things. so it's a pretty u- unique situation for me compared to my brothers and sisters sure and uh, but mom and dad had always wanted to retire to a-, a place in Pennsylvania called Bedford, Pennsylvania, a beautiful place in the mountains. And so I did that. I went with them and did my last three years of high school there. And then uh, when I got out of high school uh, in 86, that's when I went in the Air Force.
0: That's bold of them, to uproot New Jersey and go to Bedford, Pennsylvania. What was in Bedford that was so
1: desirable? How that ended up coming about was... I had a sister that was married with her kids in Morgantown, West Virginia. Sure. And so when we leave New Jersey and go visit her in West Virginia, we would always hit Bedford and then turn south toward Morgantown, West Virginia. And we'd always stop in Bedford. It was like one of our stops. And um, and every time we stopped there, we just kind of fell in love with the area mm-hmm. a little bit more, fell in love with the town. And it just became my mom and dad's radar that that's where they decided they wanted to retire. And, yeah. Uh, and it worked out that way.
0: And was it in like shooting distance of where your siblings were so that they could kind I've of... I've
1: got siblings all over the all country. Yeah, I mean, my brothers and sisters are all over, all the way out to Colorado, uh, Illinois, Georgia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey still. I mean, they're, they're just, my brothers and sisters are all over the place. Sure. And so, and so we, we get together, you know, we, we, we pull off family reunions every few years and those kinds of things. My mom and dad just celebrated their 90th birthdays wow. uh, here within a couple years ago. And wow. we had a big shindig, just my brothers and sisters for them and just things like that. So it's, awesome. it's it's been, and then last year um they celebrated uh, their 70th wedding anniversary and so last fall we had a big shindig for that so so we all still get together and uh and, and it's, it's just a lot of fun that's do. great a lot of fun
0: so i gotta ask you i feel like we can't just blow past this the youngest of eight <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's a lot in this day and age yeah so yeah. What, what, what do you think how did, how has that formed you being the youngest Of
1: eight children. Yeah, you know, there's no doubt that it has played an impactful role in my life. You know, growing up, I had the vantage point of watching all my brothers and sisters and watch the mistakes they made and the successes they had. Equal learning from both. And so I'm learning from all of them and and the ways they went about things and their, their different personalities and i'll just tell you having that vantage point was incredible for mm-hmm. me and um and then and having a mom and dad to be, to be blessed with the mom and dad that i had was just unbelievable as mm-hmm. well and and you know my mom uh, you know a very traditional mom stayed at home with all of us eight kids i mean she practically had to really have a choice right we have eight kids yeah. and, and um and, and and dad was an engineer at Bell laboratories mm-hmm. and, uh, and and very successful in his own right and so uh it was incredible and you know the stories are miles long you know and you know you know, one of the house, first homes early on for our family, the kids would be lined up down the hallway because of one bathroom. And yeah. then mom and dad bought a huge house, well, huge in terms of bigger than what it was, where it had more you, than one bathroom. Yeah, and, you need and er- square And everybody footage. started spreading out, uh-huh. and everybody had an opportunity to use a bathroom. And, and, you know, so everything from that to just dinner at nighttime, you know, 10 people gather around a table having family dinner every single night. And uh, and the takeaway from that, because today's day and age, it's a struggle to get the family together for dinner. The kids have soccer and baseball. And, you know, you name the activity they're involved in, and and life's moving fast. And in our industry, sometimes clients have to look at homes in the evenings, and you know and those sorts of things. So you try to balance that all out, and. I think, you know, how can we get our family dinner scheduled, make sure we're doing that enough times that it's valuable to our family and that it means something. And uh, because those are things that I grew up with and I knew how important they were to us back then. Yeah. And so a lot of those types of things, a lot of those experiences I've learned growing up have been very important for me to carry into my family in the way of traditions and values and those sorts of things. You
0: know, I I think it's interesting when people say, you know, quote, I'm too busy to do this or everybody's busy i mean that's just to to exist yeah you, you, you have to be a certain level of busy and i imagine with eight kids you know two parents running around everybody was busy but yeah. what you're saying as long as you have a, an organized structure to things you well can you just of... said
1: something that that i do a lot i do a lot of public speaking seminars and i talk about simply existing right to the definition of the word exist is to have life and but my favorite word is persist and that is to to go beyond just the definition of having life it's about maximizing your life you know regardless of obstacles setbacks things that get in your way or busyness if i want to persist and maximize my life then i have to say what are those things that will make me feel like i'm maximizing life so if having family dinner is important to me then that has to be put in its priority place and, and other things go by the wayside then. And so that to me is all about how I wanna persist in life. Do I wanna have you know one of the best real estate companies in the industry? Do I wanna be one of the best county commissioners that I can be? Do I wanna have my family making sure we have designated family time and dinner times and, and have time for our kids' activities? It's it's about making leadership decisions that are right for you and your family at those moments. and And a lot of my stuff is leadership-based. And whether it's leadership as a dad, whether it's leadership as the owner of a company, whether it's leadership as an elected official in my community. And so that's how I kind of try to measure things.
0: Does every individual have some
1: responsibility as a leader? You know I don't know if every individual does but I believe that every individual gets an opportunity to make decisions about where and when they might want to lead. So for example one of the things I talk about in my seminars is sometimes good followership is good leadership. Meaning if I understand that my role in this situation is to lend support or help the leader or help the team get where we're going and I'm in a following role not a leader role but I do that really well. I'm actually kind of providing some leadership because I'm setting the example for other teammates. I'm showing people that we can do this. I'm cheering on the team. I'm helping other people become successful. And so that's why I say good followership can be good leadership because other people then coalesce around that. And they're like, wow, look at look at him go or look at her go. And they latch onto that. And then the team is successful. And then, uh, and then the leader can do what the leader needs to be doing at those moments. So I think everybody has opportunities to, to be a leader in, in whatever capacity they're comfortable Mm leading. Look, not everybody is the type of person that could be out front. There are people who are risk-adverse. There are people that don't like it when people are criticizing them. And with leadership comes a tremendous amount of criticism. And so, look, if you you don't like risk, you don't like people criticizing you, you're going to be more the kind of person that's going to step back a little bit and not take that role. And that's okay. I mean, you know, it it, it takes all kinds of people to have successful teams, organizations, or or whatever it is that you're pursuing. And the person
0: who's stepping back or isn't, uh, you know, fit to be up front, they probably have a strength in a different facet. No doubt. I'll give you
1: a perfect example. We, we uh, This is probably eight, nine years ago, maybe a little longer. We had a virus that hit us at the office, okay? So here I am, the president and owner of the company, and I am, by de facto, the leader of the company. Well, at that moment, the lowest-paying person on my staff had an understanding of viruses and what to do at that moment, all right? that person stepped up, took lead on that situation and I became a gopher right that person was actually for the remainder of that day telling me what they needed me to do one of it included driving to Walmart and Best Buy and I got in that car, and I drove the Walmart, and I got them what they needed. So I went from leading this company to all of a sudden somebody else stepping in a leadership role at that moment to get us past a crisis. And I had no problem moving into that followership, followership role because I would have had no idea how to get us past that. And that person led perfectly that afternoon and uh, couldn't have been more excited and happy about that.
0: And I feel like it's also, and in, in, this is me just listening to you, but I feel like it's also important to know as an individual when to relent. Absolutely. Your position and understand the person over there is better suited to take control you bet. of. This.
1: Understanding your strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. in any given situation are critical. And, and
0: I also want to talk to you because you're saying follower and followership. Follower just seems like a bad word. It does. Nobody wants to be called a follower, right? Right. So, But you weren't making it sound like a negative connotation.
1: It's not a negative connotation. Here, here's why people sometimes think followers are negative, or it's a negative word, is because the perception is the follower's just laying around doing nothing. The follower's laying on the couch, won't get up off the couch and help people. The follower's sitting in their cubicle and just doing the bare minimum. That's the stigma of followership. My definition, look, if you want to be a strong follower and contribute to the team and use your strengths and assets to pull that portion of your job off so that the whole team's successful, that is fantastic. And a follower in that situation, uh, that's a home run. Yeah. And so sometimes you have to look at it in its context and, and, and think, You know, if, if, you, if all you had was people that were doing the bare minimum, um, I would call that subsisting. So you can exist to have life, you can persist and maximize life or you can subsist and, and live at a below standard. Well, those types of followers who are doing it, those, those people are subsisting. And I don't have time for people like that on my team. I don't have time to be around people or perform on a team where there's people like that. So I look for followers who are interested in persisting at what they do with their skill set and their strengths and then it works out really good
0: the The person that you uh, said that you wouldn't want it on your team, and you said yeah. subsist subsist. Yeah, you know, can they are 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 they ha, they simply haven't been engaged yet properly, or is there just some people that you think just you as an individual and as a leader, you just your personalities just simply don't I, I, look, click, I, and it's just not for, for I, you. I
1: I think there are some people that that's just. How they're made up. Their desire is to live at a minimal standard. They, they they don't they have no desire to go the extra mile to to do whatever it takes to accomplish mission. It, it, it's like if you give them A, B, and C, you can you're all you're getting is A, B, and C. Right. You're never going to get D. You're never going to get E. Um, there's never going to be a wow factor. And I guess sometimes you might need that. But but what I really look for is people with a history of success. Right? So I, I don't care if I'm hiring, you're 21 years old. Tell me about the last five years of your life and how successful it was. So when you were in high school, were you in sports? Were you on teams? Were you in, uh, were you in some of the clubs? Did you participate in after-school activity? I don't care. What you are, what's your history of success? Because that's going to tell me how you're going to perform within the organization or the team.
0: You know, and that, that's so interesting that you say that, because I feel like wait, uh, a, a common example of that is teenagers in high school saying, oh, we're never going to apply this in the real world, or we're never going to yeah. do this. And that's not the point. The point is you taking the initiative, and the point is that you're taking what's in front of you and, and excelling.
1: Absolutely. So not worrying about if you're going to be yeah. doing
0: calculus outside. What's important is that you're learning it, and you're applying it, and you're excelling.
1: Right. How are you taking those challenges mm-hmm. before you in high school, and what are you doing to accomplish those challenges? And, and that will set the stage for everything you do the rest of your mm-hmm. life. And so uh, it, it doesn't matter what the issue is, Go after it full force. Do the best you can, and uh, and I think that that will uh, take you really far. In
0: All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break so that we can hear from the Mybor updates.
2: Hello, everyone. This is Jamie Barb with the Mybor update. The coronavirus pandemic continues to impact the real estate industry. Everything from brokerage operations to how listings are being marketed and the ability to close transactions is requiring realtors to adapt to these extraordinary circumstances. MIBOR understands that these circumstances are impacting our members' ability to conduct business. Because of this, MIBOR has provided a resource page at MIBOR.com coronavirus to help address some of the common transactional issues we are hearing about. This guidance will be continually updated. The page provides links to local, state, and national websites, as well as an FAQ section. As always, we are here for you. We hope this resource is helpful for you to stay informed. Last month, the Realtor Foundation Board acted and approved $15,000 in emergency grants to support three of our grant organizations that are in the highest need for funds to fight COVID-19. They are facing a new kind of crisis in keeping their residents, staff, and volunteers safe. They are also facing a shortage of supplies and food and balancing cash flow. If there is room in your heart and your budget, your donation at this time will aid the Foundation's effort to respond to the needs of homeless service agencies during this global emergency. You can give online at www.realtorfoundation.org. Last year, the National Association of Realtors created a new national policy called the Clear Cooperation Policy or Policy 8.0. The policy is to be adopted by every association. My board will implement the new policy on April 14th. The intent of the new policy is to solidify the primary purpose of a listing service, which is to foster cooperation among brokers. In order to implement this mandatory policy, a few changes are coming to the BLC. You will find that committees, staff, and board of directors have been careful to cause as little change as possible to our current rules. This new policy only impacts those listings where the seller has required that the listing agent withhold the property from the BLC. Visit myboard.com slash clearcooperation to learn more. There, you will find resources, including a video from CEO Shelly Specchio, examples of public marketing, and a first look at the new office exclusive disclosure form. Due to the coronavirus, the board of directors voted to temporarily suspend the available showings rule for active listings. In the case that your seller wants to suspend showings, you have two options. One, listings shall be moved to temporarily off-market status and all showings shall be suspended. Or two, if your sellers choose not to physically show their property in any way, but keep the listing as active during this time, Mybor BLC requires three disclosures. More information about the required disclosures and details about this temporary option can be found at myborcom slash coronavirus. On May 4th through 6th, we are bringing M-Pro Bootcamp to you virtually. This is a great use of your time at home. Learn more and sign up today at myboard.com mpro. And that's all for today on your MyBoard update. And now, back to our interview.
0: Uh, you're at Bedford, Pennsylvania. Bedford, Pennsylvania. First time I've ever heard of Bedford. <laughs> I gotta say, most... Retirees, you know, say Florida, sure, or Southern sure, Alabama, yeah. not Bedford, not mom and dad. Mom and dad wanted I the mountains. the mountains. Hey, um, so you uh, you graduate?
1: What what turns you into the the military? Yeah, so four of my brothers went in the Air Force, and uh, my why, dad. Why my, the Air Force? Well, my dad was in the Army, and um, and, and the only reason I think maybe the Air Force because when my my older brother went in the Air Force. Um, you know, obviously he shared with us his experiences in the Air Force. and, And I think that just trickled down through my brothers that We've always had this sense of country, this sense of duty. My dad was in the Army, um, you know, when he was younger. And, um, and and so hearing the Air Force stories and hearing what that was like, um, I think we all just kind of got an affinity for the Air Force and uh, and went with it. And blue is one of my favorite colors, so that helped out a little you, bit. You, you just look great I in blue. You just look good in blue, look so blue. I'm like, hey, I think that'll work out for me, you know. Yeah, sure, sure. And, uh, but, you know, you, you look at what all the Air Force um, provided to me, uh... in my lifetime I got to travel they paid for a lot of my college education um, they taught me discipline uh... they they gave me experiences that I still to this day use uh... they taught me systems I'm a big systems guy I think that um, you know people don't uh, uh... systems don't fail people do and so I love systems and so when I look at the experience of what the Air Force gave to me it is so much more than I could have ever given back to the Air Force, you know, or my country, and so you know, I'm proud to be a veteran, but but I by far was the benefactor of that because of what the Air Force uh, and my country did for me.
0: Well, and and I uh, I knew that you were in the military, and I feel like everything that you just said before you talked about. Your, your time in the military about collaboration and leading and yep. following and understanding things for the greater good and team goal. That's all the military. I mean, well, that, that's
1: the essence know, our, of our of... basic training motto was lead, follow, or get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And so you can look at my life and anything that I've been involved in. And it's been that way, lead, follow, or get out of the way. And I don't have problem telling people to get out of the way. Now I, I do it nicely, but, but I don't have a problem with that because if we're truly going after a purpose or a mission, We've got to accomplish that. And, and if you're not on board, it's okay to get out of the way and go a different direction and do something else. I don't have a problem. I'm not upset with you about that. I'd rather know today than two months into the deal, and all of a sudden we have more problems now because you're not along with the team. And so, uh, so yeah, that lead follower get out of the way has, uh, has tremendously benefited me in my life. You've carried that? Carried it to this day. So after
0: the military? So, yeah, after I got out of the military,
1: that's when I was in insurance and securities. And uh, And is there any
0: sort of natural passion for that, or did you know somebody? What what, what led you to that?
1: My brother, Jim, uh, was doing some uh, insurance and securities, and so I was able to talk to him about that. And, um, I've always been a natural salesperson, you know, and even when I was a kid, I, I would buy the, back, back when I was a kid, you, in the back of the comic books, you could buy different things. Okay. X-ray so, specs. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, but, but it was more than that. So like, I'll give you an example. So when I was a kid, you could buy burpee seeds. Uh, little packets of seeds in the back of the ma- of the comic books, and so you could buy a box of like fifty packets. And I don't know, I'm trying to remember. They might have been ten cents a packet or something along that lines. Well, then I would buy those, and then I would go door to door in my neighborhood, and I would sell them for fifty cents to a dollar a packet, depending on the seed. And um, and so I would make money doing that. And, um, and I would mow lawns in my neighborhood and I would go out selling those jobs. I would go out and sell myself to shovel people's driveways in the wintertime. Um, I would buy the Christmas cards out of the back of the comic books and I would go door to door and sell Christmas cards so people always had an extra box because you know, everybody at Christmas time was like, oh, I wish I had a card to send to so-and-so. So I would sell people boxes and say, you'll never say that again. Have a box in your house. You'll never run out of a car. And people would buy the Christmas cards from me. So I've always had this affinity for sales and so when my brother went into insurance and security It was telling me about it. You know, sales is a lot about relationships, and I'm a big fan of building and creating relationships. And and that business was a lot about relationships. And so uh, I pursued that with a great mentor of mine uh, up in Kokomo, Indiana, and learned a tremendous amount from him on sales. And as you can see, that's taken me right into my real estate career, and sales is a huge part of it. Uh, Because, you know, I've got to train our new uh, real estate agents on how to sell and and, and help them understand what the sales process looks like, what it it means to go out and build relationships and do these types of things that it takes to be successful. And so there's been a connection all along with sales from the time I was a little kid all the way through. So you clearly uh, demonstrated entrepreneurial
0: instincts. But also something that you've made crystal clear is that you are a believer in the power of collaboration. Absolutely. So I feel like there's almost a a Venn diagram. One circle is is entrepreneurship and the other circle is collaboration. And you're somewhere
1: in that overlap. I'm somewhere in the overlap but you know in the entrepreneurship side you know in order to be a successful entrepreneur it takes collaboration not not only within the organization but a lot of times outside the organization right I mean look at if if, in my real estate business if I didn't collaborate with title companies and mortgage lenders and other industry people and home inspectors and, and have these collaborations across the board we wouldn't have very smooth transactions for our clients, right? And so we have to be in a situation where understanding relationships and collaborations in order to be successful at what we do are a critical component of it. So I've never given up on the, the collaboration side of things just because the perception of an entrepreneur is it's just a person who goes and charges the hill by themselves. Sure. Just never been that type of an entrepreneur. I've always been, how many people can we gather around ourselves and go charge the hill together and let's all be successful? Mm-hmm. I'm much more interested in that. I'm much more interested in in who around me I can help become successful. And in turn, they're helping me be successful. And and when we can create that kind of a win-win scenario, it's fantastic. But
0: what's your opinion on competition, which makes our industry so unique, is that you have these realtors in the same room together, but at the same time, they're competitors. Yeah, sure. So So how do you apply
1: that? You know, um, our industry is unique in the sense that as competitors, we get together and have luncheons we get together and have Christmas parties and you know we often refer to it as the realtor family well I I really believe a lot of that comes from if you go way back to when this whole thing started you know real estate in the back in the late 1800s was like the wild wild west right it's where pocket listings came from you saw the real estate guy he had the stuff in his pockets and real estate was just it was a horrible mess and then they start the, you know, some, some professionals came together and said, look, let's start the National Association of Realtors. Let's start bringing professionalism to our career so that people keep talk, quit talking about us like we're just a bunch of hoodlums out here. And so they started that. Well, then five years later, they take this massive step to create this code of ethics. Right In 19, 1913, somewhere around there. Now think about that. We were one of the first professions to have a code of ethics. And to this day, it's a living document, I meaning every single year that Code of Ethics is updated to relate to current times. Well, when you look at that Code of Ethics, I believe that is what gives us that spirit of cooperation, is that we've all agreed to work within these parameters, treat each other professionally, do the spirit of cooperation, do those things that it make sure that at the end of the day, it's our clients who are taken care of. And I think that's why we're able to have our Christmas parties together, why we're able to have luncheons together, and why we're able to see our competitor across the street and say hi instead of looking at them as the enemy. And, uh, and I think when you get right down to it, because of how we perform with Inside to Code and other things, Uh, it makes for an incredibly great profession. Awesome,
0: so uh, moving out of insurance, what made you
1: make the jump into real estate? Yeah, I just got involved in some real estate deals and uh, those were going pretty well and got to be around some other realtor people and, and, and just started learning more about that business. And uh, it was something that I really enjoyed and saw that I could apply my entrepreneurial desires to it. Understood there's a lot of collaboration in the real estate world. And, um, and just uh, made that decision to go down that route. And, and, and I'm real thankful I did. You know, what's interesting about it is, you know, never once growing up did I say to myself, I'm going to grow up and be a realtor. Sure. And when I was in the Air Force, I never said, gee, I'm going to be a realtor. And, and so sometimes opportunities come along in our lifetime. And I've always believed that the harder I work, the luckier I get, meaning I'm always going to be in a position where the harder I work, more good things are going to be happening. So it's, it's not really luck, but it, you know, it's like, wow, that happened because I kept preparing myself for when I met opportunity. And so I was prepared. And so all my successes that I had along that route, or even things that I maybe wasn't successful at, prepared me for that moment when it came time to make a decision. Is opening my own real estate company the right thing to do? I did it with a, a level of confidence, still a little bit of scared, but, but a level of confidence and a desire to go be successful in the real estate industry and all that it has to offer. And so I made that decision uh, back in uh, 2001. I opened up my own company, and uh, it's been a blessing ever since.
0: Yeah. Um, so something I really wanted to talk to you about is, and you are recently um, awarded for, for these, yeah. these uh, what you do for your community and what you do for your, your fellow man. Um, This program that you've created uh, regarding those who are struggling with addiction, who are seeking sobriety and a a better life and better opportunities. Let us know what what that's about.
1: Well, I appreciate that. You know, look, first of all, I want to start with this. You know, as realtors, you know, community is everything to us. We're out selling our community every single day. And oftentimes, it's real easy for us as realtors to become champions for the fun and exciting things, you know, wow, the community has announced we're going to build a new YMCA. Yay, as realtors, we're cheering and we're right there with it. Uh, we're going to put in a new trail system. Yay, we're right there with it. And, and a new ball stadium. Yay. And, and we get so excited about those things. we become champions for them. But what I always try to help people understand that, you know, in every community there are challenges as well. And as realtors, I believe we have every bit the obligation to meet those challenges and put time, effort, and resources into those to continue to help make our community better or to help those who may be suffering in our community come along so that one day they can enjoy and and share in all the great successes and blessings that we enjoy and so back in 2017, our community was suffering from uh, the opioid crisis like many communities around the country. It wasn't unique to Kokomo and Howard County, but it was the fact that we had our share of it. And what were we were going to do, we had a record number of overdose deaths that year of 44. There was a period of time we were doing, uh, having almost like one a week. And so um, so I just organized a, uh, um, an opioid summit and brought community leaders together and said, look, let's just have this honest discussion. Let's quit looking the other way and thinking it's other people's problem. And, uh, and let's really get down to it and have a conversation. And I'll tell you, the community leaders that came together that day uh, really opened up and had a good, honest, frank discussion. And, and so long story short, by the end of that meeting, uh, many people were locked arm in arm, saying, you know what, we can go tackle this together if we do this right. And so we organized a handful of committees that came out of that summit. And people know me, I don't like to have a meeting for the sake of a meeting, right? I want action. Well, tell me the actionable items and then can we lead and go get that done. And so people signed up for these committees. We had over 100 people sign up for, for various working groups to, to start tackling this thing. And one of the biggest gaps that we identified in our community was the fact that uh, people just didn't know where to go get help. People who were suffering, sometimes it was families, they had children, they, they didn't know where to turn. Or if they did make an effort, they ran into a barrier. And then they felt like, oh, I just got stopped there. And then they gave up and went right back to using or whatever the case may be. And so we identified that gap and said, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna create a community access point where we're gonna have one answer to that question. When somebody says, where do I go get help? And now the answer in our community is Turning Point. And so we created a nonprofit community access center. It costs nothing for people to come in. And so if you're suffering from addiction or you have a family member is and people say where do I start you say turning point they come in and we have expert professional navigators that begin to well first thing we do is love on people we just you know make sure they understand we want to become part of their story and help them and then we start connecting them to the resources that they need whether it's counseling, treatment, housing, whatever those basics are that they don't even have in their life we're there for them. And, and, and here's the reality. You know, uh, have,
0: before we go on, yeah. is, does Turning Point have a website? or something Yeah, so can
1: we, we are actually in the process right now of finalizing our website. It's going to be brand new. It's going to be fantastic. We've got a company that's volunteered to help us out of Chicago, believe it or not, a big PR firm. And so um, that's all getting ready to come online. But we're on Facebook. You can okay. go to Turning Point SOC on Facebook. Uh, we're on Twitter, Turning Point SOC. And check us all out there and, and what we're doing um, but but here's the reality, uh, you know, I, I just, I firmly believe this. People don't wake up in the morning and, and say, gee, I, I want to be a heroin addict today. Or they don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, I want to destroy my family today, right? They're in a bad place for a host of reasons. And, and we've got to get past this stigma that addicts are all bad people they're in bad places and that's where I go back to we as realtors have this obligation when we have a, a challenge like this in our community we could help people and so we opened up our access point and the first day we didn't have the phones plugged in we had a line out the door and uh, we've been helping people ever since. Last year, we saw over five hundred individuals and families. Um, with in two thousand seventeen to two thousand eighteen, we had a twenty five percent reduction in overdose deaths. Last year, we had about a ten percent reduction, and this year we're, we're pacing ahead for another reduction. So, you know, the organization, the people, all the organizations that we partner with are, are you know, we we partner with probation, the problem solving courts, uh, the jail. Uh, other organizations that are providing help to people who are in addiction. Everybody's locked arm-in-arm and, arm, and together everybody, law enforcement for example, they were arm arm-in-arm. Everybody working arm-in-arm, we've been able to start reducing overdose deaths and saving lives. And so that's been a real nice positive improvement in our community. It makes Kokomo and Howard County a better and a stronger place because we're tackling that issue instead of ignoring it. So, yeah, we have a brand-new YMCA, we have a brand-new ball field, and we have a brand-new center that helps people in need. And that's how a community becomes successful.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and um, even if you're looking at the strictest black-and-white terms of it, that individual who may have been suffering from addiction, instead of getting in trouble and, and possibly being homeless, now they're they're able to Absolutely. be successful on their own and contributing to the workforce. And they you bet. And
1: so it pays off. We have some of the greatest turnaround stories. Yeah, you know, I've watched single moms come out of jail, work with us, get their kids back, have full time jobs, get their own place to live, and and you can just see people going down that path of wow, this is what life really can be. And, um, and so, you know, we, we, we look at it as we're in the business of human beings mm-hmm. and, um, and if we love on people and take care of them and treat them that way, uh, we've got a lot higher likelihood of success.
0: How important is purpose that an individual needs to feel like they have a purpose?
1: Well, you know, purpose, it, it, it's, it's incredibly important. I mean, you know, people ask me all the time about success and if you, if you just look at the definition of success, the definition is accomplishing a purpose. Right? So if you want to be successful in life, you always ask yourself, well, what's my purpose? What am I really trying to accomplish? And so for me, I, I've, I've just always been blessed with, this, uh, w- with leadership skills and leadership talent. And so I feel like that one of my purposes is to apply those leadership talents to things like helping create Turning Point, or um, helping run a successful real estate company whatever that purpose is in my life at that moment and so for every person if their purpose in life is x y or z having that purpose understanding it and going and accomplishing that purpose is critical so when we learn from people what their their interests are what their desires are and we can help them accomplish that purpose All of a sudden, you can see their vision for their own life growing, their own purpose in their own life growing. That that nobody's telling them anymore that you're a loser, you're a waste, you're worthless, you're never going to amount to anything. Now, all of a sudden, they start seeing all these possibilities. And the first time they hit that first level, they want the next and the next because they realize, wait a second, there's a lot more to life than what people have made me feel like or that I believed about myself for the longest time. And so now we get people where they're believing in themselves, falling in love with themselves, and that's critical.
0: Outstanding. Uh, Paul, you're a man of many tremendous achievements, uh, from your military service to being a successful realtor. You were the president of IAR. You've been awarded within this industry, but I'm pretty sure myself as well as the listeners will all agree that your biggest achievement was locking in that four-pound bass named Walter (laughs) 10 years ago. It could very well be. chasing that through other facets (laughs) of life throughout. That's clear, right? Sure, absolutely. Uh, But Thank you for being here. I really appreciate your time. Uh, Just an incredible story that you have. Um, Thank Thank you for being here, Paul. Hey, it's
1: my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity.